Welcome to Learning with Learner, where we embark on a transformative journey of knowledge and personal growth. I'm Lindsay Lerner, your dedicated host and guide as we delve into the depths of unconventional wisdom. Together, we'll explore the stories and insights of remarkable trailblazers who have forged their own paths. Brace yourselves for thought-provoking conversations, profound insights, and eye-opening experiences. Our mission is to challenge the norm, ignite curiosity, and empower you to embrace your unique journey. This is Learning with Learner. Welcome to Learning with Learner. In today's episode, we have Adele Jackson Gibson, a movement coach, editor, writer, and energy healer based in Oakland, California. Adele's passion lies in exploring the wisdom of the human body and helping others find freedom in movement and self-expression. With a background as a D1 athlete in track and soccer at Yale, followed by an intense dedication to CrossFit during her grad school years at NYU, Adele has evolved her approach and now embraces the joy of rolling and crawling around on the floor to the sound of lo-fi hip-hop. Join us as Adele shares her insights on the energetic body and teaches us how to master our own body talk. Get ready to discover the transformative power of movement with Adele Jackson Gibson. As always, listeners, thank you so much for listening. It would mean the world to me if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed this podcast. It really does help. Could you tell us a bit about your upbringing and where you grew up? So I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York. It's a little big city. (laughs) Grew up in white suburbia, but my parents are immigrants to this country. So my mom's from Guyana and my dad is from Jamaica and different ages, but they both came here around 15, 16 years old. And then somehow made it to one of the coldest areas of, in the state and um, decided to have a, a, a family rough. there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but most of my family now is in either New York City or Florida. My mom is a doctor and she got um, her residency in Buffalo. And so I think my parents were very career driven and like need to make it in America so that our children have better lives than we did. And so, and I think they've had some, you know, regrets over that being like far away from like family and culture and that sort of thing, but they made the decision that they thought was worth it for them. Yeah. How did your early experiences, do you think, shape your perspective on movement? especially as a a vehicle of of self-expression? Because my parents were like upper middle class and I grew up in a certain area, I was an anomaly in my schools and um, in the sports I played especially. So there was a lot of me trying to figure out how to fit in. And the way I found a way into white spaces was being good at sports. Like that was the way I was accepted. That was the way I was valued and the way I was honored, at least the way I understood it at the time. And it's kind of hard to like tease out everything. Like nothing is like exists in a vacuum. Everything influences everything else. But I, what began as like me being fairly just interested in like sport for play and for sports sake became something that was really attached to my ego and my identity and my value and my sense of worth 
that went down some really tricky avenues because I do feel like there's something nice about being like, wow, like this is a gift I've been given and like I'm being celebrated for it. Like that's cool. And then there's like sort of resting all of your laurels on that because those things can change and you know, it doesn't necessarily allow people to see all of who you are. You just kind of see only a part of a person. So I think coming from that world and like being injured multiple times throughout my life and just kind of realizing like that can't just be it. And also I was a sports journalist for a while. So I've witnessed this and like athletes who would just get nearly like season ending injuries and how that would affect them mentally and just emotionally. And just, they think that the world is ending. Like, it's just, yeah, it's like really hard. It's really hard when the world kind of sets it up for you to define yourself by that and that only. So, Mm. yeah. What were your, what sports were you playing in, you know, growing up and into high school? So I grew up um, playing soccer and I ran track. Uh, I tried my hand at basketball and I realized that that is a very confusing sport to me. I can't explain to you why the orientation, I get lost and my coaches get frustrated. It's just not a good time. So I quit, <laughs> but soccer and track is what I, what I did. Were your folks interested in sports? Did they push you in any sort of direction? Well, my mom, not so much. My dad, um, ever since I was like, I don't even know how young, maybe four or five was like, you got to play soccer. You got to play soccer. And I actually really wanted to be a ballerina. Actually, in grade school, I was really into my dance class. And um, excellent. But then, I mean, it's interesting because like, I think it was first or second grade. I actually... Crush is an interesting word to use, but that's how I understood it. I had, in, I, in yeah, I had a crush on a boy, so I was like, okay. to get close to this, yeah, I know, to get close to this person, I need to become like him. So you know, dress more like him and do the things that he was doing. What was he doing? He was playing soccer and playing N sixty four at the time. So that's what I did. This is my life <laughs> now, <laughs> right? Like, um, I actually was, um, because of that, becoming who I am now, which is someone who is more, I guess, masculine presenting and who happens to really like anime and video games and play sports. That's what I do now. <laughs> but who would have known that, that that's what that was about? It wasn't a, it could have been a crush, who knows, but it was about, it was about more than that. And, um, so, yeah. It's always easy to connect the dots backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. And so I know in college you were like killer D1 athlete. How did you, did you, and correct me if I'm wrong, did you, were you doing both soccer and track and field? Yep. I was having a hard time in high school deciding between the two sports and then I ended up getting recruited to Yale and they basically said, you don't have to choose. So I was like, oh, what? Like, no one's ever said that to me. Okay. The soccer and the track coaches were actually really good friends. So that worked out in my favor. And so it was preseason in August, soccer until like November, 
took maybe like three weeks off. I went straight into indoor track season, outdoor track season in the spring. And then I maybe I took a month off and then I had to get training for preseason again. So I was constantly just like preparing for something and it was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. And actually they kind of, at least one season really benefited each other. I remember I had an extra long track season cause I had done really well and I made it to like conference championships or something. And then we had some international track meets that summer in um, the UK. And so I was running a lot. And so when I got to preseason that August, we were doing the 300 meter shuttle and people were like, what the hell? I was like, yeah, I don't know why I feel so good right now, but y'all need to run track. I don't know. Um, That's incredible. What a benefit. It it was. And I, I wouldn't say that fitness and it's funny that it's my job now, but I wouldn't say that fitness was my strength at that point. I hated all the conditioning drills. I hated, <laughs> I was a goalkeeper. Like I, you were not having sure. me run miles. Like that's, it's still not happening today, but um, yeah, I hated it. <laughs> so that, that was a really good summer for me. <laughs> oh man, what a win. Yeah. I'm sure your coaches were stoked too. They were, they were. And then I got injured. Damn. Which was a sad story. What kind of injury? Um, that year. Ooh, what year was that? Um, I think I broke my arm that year. Oof. Yeah, I broke my, my junior year. I fractured my humerus, which is the second hardest bone to break in the body besides the femur. Yeah, that was wondering about yeah that. people in the hospital thought I was in a car crash I was like no I was just in the soccer game and like we don't understand how this happened I'm like me neither <laughs> I don't holy shit I don't know how this happened um and then the following year I tore my ACL and a bunch of other things mm. yeah I was like very unlucky but um damn yeah and were you able to recover and and keep on or mm, I wasn't able to return either of those seasons I was out I couldn't okay um so that was unfortunate because I was planning on going pro shortly after that. And then I had an ego death of many sorts, but yeah. At what point did more of the fitness movement, fitness enter the picture? Was it then like, to fill that void or... No, well, not, not right away. I actually realized after I graduated that I had defined myself and what I wanted to do based upon other people's desires for a very long time. And that, yeah, I just couldn't hear my inner voice anymore. I was hearing everybody else's. So I was, I was like, I need to, I need to leave this context. And I meant like any sort of American being at like places like Yale or like my family, like all of that needed to go. And I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do what's something that's called the JET program, which is the program that's sponsored by the Japanese government. And they partner with other embassies throughout the world where you apply and you, they send you out mo- most of the time to the middle of nowhere to like be an ambassador for your company country that's what it originally started as but now they're like trying to teach kids English so I had that in the back of my mind I didn't think I was going to get it I ended up getting the job and then they sent me to the countryside where you know I was 
one of three Americans living in like a very small town that wasn't really a town, was really an amalgamation of villages in this mountain valley. And yeah, spent a year there and got the answers that I needed, but it was like really, it was very challenging. Well, that's the antithesis of, I mean, the prestige of being at Yale. Yeah, just having everybody kind of understanding me and like who I was and like what I was about to like my students not understanding that I was black. Like that's Mm. like how, that's how out of context I was. And it was very necessary. Um, Right. And very, very challenging. Like, I don't think I'd ever live in Japan again. I I would love to visit, but it's one of those countries where it's been so isolated for so long to like foreign influence. And to certain degrees, you can make arguments that Western culture really shaped it a lot. But the foreigner, like population there is like so low compared to like United States or like anywhere in like the West that it's just preserved its culture to a degree that it's just like a like another planet like it's just right especially in a remote village like yeah that. like very oh like and some of those people don't leave so they don't have mm. a good understanding of cultures or people outside of that so um for sure yeah so. And at that point, at that point, had you like, had you met your wife? Were you out? Were you also explaining like this uh, yeah. <laughs> entire other aspect? Or we just like left that out? Yeah. <laughs> it's like enough to deal well, with. Well, I, so interestingly enough, and I'll get, I guess we'll get back to the movement part later. I realized I didn't answer that part. For sure. Um, but I had just came out that mm. the year, that year, actually. I just under, sure. and it, it wasn't to my family yet. It was mainly just my friends mm-hmm. um, and okay. like people at school, but I had just understood that I was queer. I didn't, I didn't know yeah. for a while. And so I had a similar timeline. Yeah. So I feel you. Yeah. I don't know. It's like common <laughs> among female identifying people that we just don't figure it out mm-hmm. until later. I don't, it's fine. Truly. It's, it's fine. <laughs> you know? Um, Hey, if you hadn't had a crush on that boy, you probably wouldn't have gone to Japan. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> it all unfolds when it needs to. Mm. But um, yeah, so I had just come out. So going that far and like also like, you know, being queer was like not really a thing in my in this town that I moved to. Um, and I'm sure there were some people I was like picking up on. I'm like, mm, but you probably don't know either. <laughs> so. Right. Um, so yeah, it was, that was very challenging for me, um, trying to find community over there. There was a city not too far away from where I lived, where there was some of that, but yeah, limited. And so after, after that year, did you want to, I mean, it seemed like you wanted to come back. And did, was there any sort of like plan or idea or inkling of what was coming yeah. or it was like, I'm, I'm need to get the hell out of here. Yeah, no, I definitely, well, it, it's interesting because I was still trying to become a professional soccer player while I was there. Like I was still kind of training and like my knee wasn't like a hundred percent. So I was like kind of struggling with that. And um, I actually found a soccer team to play with. And they would pay me to like stay in hotels close to their games and stuff. And, you know, 
it wasn't like a big deal, but I felt like I was, you know, semi-pro or something. And then um, I went on vacation um, in Australia that year for Christmas. And I don't know, I just kind of had a lot of more space to just kind of reflect and just think. And like, I woke up one morning and I don't know if you've ever been to Australia, but like outside Sydney, um, my, such such a weird story, but my Montessori school teacher is Australian and happened to move back shortly before I had gone to that side of the world. And so I was like, I should go visit her. So I was staying in her, her house, like in the countryside, like outside of Sydney. And it's just gorgeous gorgeous and you know and there's cockatoos singing and like all sorts of wildlife and it's just like lush and warm and just like it's amazing and like who who wouldn't want to train on a day like that when it's that gorgeous and I just woke up and I was just like you know what I just don't want to do it and I had to sit there and ask myself why why am I playing this game what do I want out of this why do I want to go pro so bad and the reason the thing that just the image that just came up was just like me like finally being able to post that photo of me on the bench of some pro soccer team somewhere saying that I made it. And the image was me on the bench. I was like, really the bench? Like, that's what I want. (laughs) Like, that's all I want to be on a bench. And then I was like, I feel like I'm doing, I'm doing this to impress other people. This isn't about me. And so then I was like, okay, what do I want to do? Or like, what am I good at? What do I like doing? I was like, I like writing. And I'm like, all right, well, how do I get paid to do that? I was like, okay, journalism. So then I uh, was like, all right, so got my plan. I'm going to go back and apply to grad school. Um, And then that took me to NYU. And then, you know, I started in sports journalism. That's how it, yeah. Did you have any sort of spiritual practice or were you raised any specific type of way in terms of where this like awareness and listening or at least awareness of that inner voice? Where does that come from? That's a really interesting question. I feel like in growing up, I grew up Protestant. So I was Presbyterian. My Grandparents were, I, I didn't know my them on my mom's side, but my grandma on my dad's side are very like into Jesus. Um, I wouldn't say a specific church. So I kind of, and I went to Catholic school. So I had, yeah. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. Just very into Jesus. And uh, just, just that guy. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I had a background of like connecting to God in some way. Um, I kind of, distance myself from that because, you know, some things didn't make sense after a while and not necessarily because I'm queer, just like certain things in the church, which like this, not making sense. Um, so when I was in Japan, when I had that moment of like really listening to myself, I don't think I had any strong faith at all. I think I just, because I was in so out of context and just being in Japan and like, Japanese not being my first language, there wasn't a lot of me putting out, if that makes sense. It was a lot of me like understanding what was going on within myself because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't express everything was internal. I mean, I could, I, I speak Japanese and I 
I could, but it's when it's not your first language, it's just like always like a process. So I'd rather sometimes rather be quiet. <laughs> yeah, I I had the same thing. I studied abroad in Chile, and when I got there, I I knew Ola. Like I was so behind the eight ball, and that's that was where I had my epi- well, multiple epiphanies. But being queer was one of them because it was there was no external influence of well you need you should be doing x y and z it was just like all right and then all of a sudden i was like oh whoa 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay okay this is a thing and then even now to this day my spanish is is okay but it's still not to the point like you're talking about where you can really fully emote and explain exactly what you know <laughs> it's like everything is internal at that point like you yes. have no outlet it's so um yeah it was enforced silence um, in some ways. And, but it's so worth it because I feel like, you know, nowadays, like, I mean, I'm, we're, I don't know how old you are. I'm 32 now. So like, I get to make a lot more of my own decisions, but like when you're, you're a teenager and you're going to college, it's like, this is the path. This is what you take. So you just listen to that and you just follow that. And then you get to a point where you're like, wait a second, is that what I want? Is that who I am? <laughs> like you're in like you're in somebody training yeah. for so long. Yeah. And then you have this moment where you're like, oh shit, like I, I didn't want any of that. Yeah, I know, I know. Who's that who thought this was a good idea? Like not me. I know. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> I mean I did, like, but you know, you get to the other side. Yeah, not consciously. It's just you're driven there. And then you're dropped off and then you get to decide where which path to take. But yeah. What was that experience like in terms of being in sports, but on the opposite side of things? I went in with like this kind of chip on my shoulder being like, oh, sports are boring. Like I I like I played sports and I loved like being a part of it. But like I was not interested at hanging out with the bros at the bar and like watching like this. Like it's like and my dad used to like be like, you need to watch soccer and like have like whatever league on or like show me all the highlights of Thierry Henry when he was with Arsenal. And I'd be like, I don't want to watch this. Like, I don't know why I'm bored by this. So when I I was asked to do this job at the startup, I was like, all right, it's funny. I'll try it out. Um, I don't find, you know, reading about stats or like strategy interesting, but like, let's see what happens. So um, but I ended up falling in love with it because it, the stories that I was telling wasn't necessarily about, like, I could, I could be a more technical writer or storyteller. I could be that person who's like, you know, analyzing the game, but that's like not me. What I, the stories I was telling were about the athletes themselves and what they went through and what things meant to them. Like, you know, you're an anthropology nerd, the anthropology of it, like the paradigm of it, like the culture of it, like that's way more interesting to me than, okay, Alex Morgan scored three goals in this game. Like, who cares? Like, I I, I kind of do, but not to the point of, a, you know, writing an essay on it. Like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. And then from there, did you then go over to Oakland from NYU? So I was in New York for like five years and then in 2020 came over here. Before the pandemic or during? During. <laughs> New York got... This was cheaper. Yeah. It, it was a little bit. Traveling to California was a lot, but um, yeah, sure. I, was, I was in Brooklyn for a while and then 
New York just kind of sucked during the pandemic. So yeah. we were, me and my yeah, wife and I were totally. just done. So what led you to choose Oakland as that like next home base? Yeah. So my wife um, had lived here in the early 2000s. So she's from originally from New York. So um, East New York specifically. And so her introduction to like organizing and well, she had some here in, um, sorry, in New York, but like her really in-depth introduction to organizing activism work was um, in Oakland. So she fell in love with that and just fell in love with the place. And um, I think, yeah, so after, you know, some time, um, she came back to New York and then met me and always talking to me about the Bay, the Bay this, Bay this, Bay. I'm like, what is with this Bay thing? So then... <laughs> We actually kind of weighed our options before we came out here because we were like, okay, where in the United States is like, can we get like one nature? Cause we're missing that in New York diversity. My wife wanted beach. It's like, all right, now we're narrowing our options even further. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, where are we going to go? Um, and yeah, just like diversity and culture, like all that. And like the answer was Oakland. So we came out here and it's, it's pretty cool if you haven't been here. It's an awesome spot. What, I mean, did you always have a passion for movement or did that come after athleticism? <sighs> movement, fitness. It's like hard to like pull them apart, but like I, to fill the hole of like my athlete life. I got really into CrossFit and CrossFit was awesome. I really appreciate like how much it's opened people's perspective on like different skills they could be learning or like, you know, really understanding one's own capacity to work that hard. I think I've never pushed myself as much as I have ever had in CrossFit. And that gave me a certain confidence of like how much I actually can handle and my resilience and all that stuff. So I appreciated that. However, I think the danger of it is specifically in the culture that we're in is that, you know, most of us are not taught how to listen to our bodies at all. And so when you have a sport that's like CrossFit and we have all of us who are very disconnected and probably doing things for a lot of the wrong reasons, we get hurt, right? So I end up getting rhabdo because I wasn't really paying attention to, yeah. And for the listeners who don't know. Yeah. So rhabdomyolysis, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, is a condition where the amount of work that you're doing or the volume that you're doing is so much that the body's whatever muscles you're using, they break down so much. The tissues break down so much that they can affect basically your blood platelets. So, and I, I don't know like specific science on it, but apparently whatever happens there can affect your kidneys and so can stop them from functioning properly. And then but the more immediate effects are just like extreme muscle soreness. You can't use the muscles anymore, um, at least not for some time. Some people apparently get permanent disability. And then, yeah, it's, you know, you might be puking, passing out, peeing blood, stuff like that. I did not have any of those symptoms. I just had really, really bad arm soreness that I thought was just soreness. And I actually did another workout the following day. Um, I'm pretty sure it would have been worse had I not been as conditioned as I was at that time, but yeah, I couldn't 
do anything that would make me sore for three months after that. I had to get blood work frequently um, to make sure that things were flushing out. So, yeah. And did you stop CrossFit at that point? No, I actually went back. <laughs> yeah. I, why did I know <laughs> But I went back with, like, a different perspective. Like, I really had to, like, reteach myself how to, to like, what – I had to understand, like, what level, I, like, that I wanted to participate in that sport in. Like, I wasn't sure. Um, and then, you know, that ultimately – got me to like close to like 2019. I think I started thinking a bit differently. I was getting bored, honestly, of, of CrossFit and a bit frustrated. Cause I also became an instructor. So I was seeing the other side of it. I was getting a bit frustrated with people showing up to the gym and like being told to do certain movements and like seeing like, there's no way I can help this person move better all I can tell them is to like, go, 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 or like do this modification. Like we're never progressing them to the point of actually feeling better in their bodies. We're just kind of getting, I don't know, like their cardio better maybe. And like, they're, maybe they're getting more muscle, but like at the end of the day, and like, I started feeling this too. Like when you're feeling beat up as shit, like, is that what you want? Like, is that what we all really want? Like, I don't think that's what we want for most, for the most part. So I started getting frustrated with that. And then, um, you know, I turned to this organization called GMB for like, initially I wanted to do, they used to have like parallettes and rings programs and then they, they retired them. And then, so when I started signing up, yeah. And then I was like, yeah, yeah send that to them, please. <laughs> and then when I signed up, they were there. So I was like, okay, I'll just try this other program called Elements. So, which is a lot of um, what people would call animal locomotion. And like, I think when I say the term animal locomotion, people are like, oh, now I can like, I love animals. Let me just like crawl on the floor and be in an it. And I'm like, it's not really that. Like, you know, it's functional. It's, yeah, it's, it's functional. like more, you know, it's more about shapes and like the way you're moving rather than you actually embodying an animal. But I found after doing that program that I started to feel better in my hips and my knees, my ankles and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh, this stuff is cool. So I just kept going with it. And then I ended up meeting Venus Lau, who's, um, uh, she's an animal float instructor, which I didn't know at the time we ended up doing a photo shoot for Reebok together. Oh, cool. And, um, That's funny. we started following each other on Instagram and then I, saw that she's yeah. doing all this animal flow stuff. I'm like, what is that? That looks really cool. So then I started trying to learn as much as I could through Instagram, which is a terrible way to learn it. Um, and then um, ended up getting certified in 2021, 20, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's right. So yeah, I've been, I haven't been teaching animal flow as much for certain reasons, but like I've been teaching locomotion for the past like year and a half, which has been cool. <laughs> Yeah, her her episode will come out a couple weeks before yours. Oh, so. nice! Everyone can go back, check out Venus, yeah. then come back. Yeah, Venus is uh, <laughs> solid. I've actually even asked her to give me advice here and there, um, but she's a solid, solid human being. Yeah, without a doubt. I think. I mean, it's so interesting. Just I, what I appreciate about your 
movement, fitness, wellness, whatever adventure that you've been on is like truly like diving in and attempting and trying all of it <laughs> and going all in literally. That's know? how I learn on all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same. Yeah. And so that, that's what, I, that's what's, that's what resonates, resonates with me. And I think I had a cool trainer in Rhode Island who he was certified in like every level of strong first. And then he taught me all of his knowledge from strong first and kettlebells and all of that. And so I'm like, I'm deep. I, I can hold my own in that regard. And obviously my producer will cut all of this, but telling you this, <laughs> he, I can, I can, I can hold my own with kettlebells. And I went to a gym that like specifically said that they were doing kettlebells. So I was like, sick, it's going to be great. And it was just me and all of these like 50 something year old wine moms. And they were so mad. They were so mad. They were like, the only reason that you can do that is because you're half our age. I'm like, bitch. <laughs> I hate that. No, that is not, that is not even what happened. I Don't at me. And they that. were like, <laughs> they said it in such a derogatory way. They were like, what, did you come from some CrossFit gym? <laughs> and I was like, I've actually never done CrossFit, but mm. thank you. <laughs> oh my God. It was like, oh, when, gosh, but that's, yeah, that's what kills me about just fitness in general as an industry. I'm like, why does it have to be like that? And that's why I admire folks like yourself who are really butting up against that and working hard to change that and fix the narrative and the stereotypes around it and create the space that's needed to be able to actually explore and to play and to learn and to grow, not just lift heavy shit and hope for the best. Yeah, I know. It's, it's so, I feel like we're all so funneled into like one way of doing it. And it's really annoying because that's not like, that's not how we did anything as kids. Like it wasn't like before we got indoctrinated in school and stuff and like, or I don't know what we were doing in our summers, but like that's, we learned by like trying shit and like falling and like being really bad at it and like doing stupid shit with friends and like we weren't like all right let me go to the gym how many sets am I doing how many reps and it's like and then you know and that's fun to an extent and there's like and there's like a there's space for that right there's like sometimes there's a need for that like structured like this is what I'm focusing on this is my intention and I'm going to do it this way and then you get bored. I'm sorry. Like I get so freaking bored with that. I'm like, we are not robots. We are not freaking robots. That's what I love about animal flow to an extent, but I even catch myself. It's difficult to, I catch myself. I'm like, just to say, okay, I'm going to set the timer 10 minutes. We're going to five minutes. We're just going to flow. And then I'm like, no, but I should do this amount of reps and I should practice this and I should, and I should. And I'm like, dude, fucking stop that's not well it's not the point here's my hot take on animal flow and like i don't know if everybody agrees with me. and this is why i don't teach it as much is because it is still a system that is very like specific like you have to do it this way and it has to look like this and i think in the beginning when i tested out for my certification i got a little frustrated by that i was like I didn't even know that detail needed to be like, they were giving me feedback that I didn't even know I needed feedback. I was like, what? Right. <laughs> like that's no, very 100%. specific. And like, I think that's, it's cool because like, you know, if, if, and this goes with like anything, like you're trying to, you're trying out for a dance team or something. And like, 
you need to like have everybody look the same and like, and it's cool for like everybody to like move in unison and look like so technically clean. Like, like that's amazing. But like when it comes to my own individual practice, I kind of get frustrated by that. Cause I'm like, Oh, I, I can't do that because my heel needs to be down here and my hand needs to be up by my face. And I can't do this cause it's not an under switch. And that you get in, you get caught in this, like, you get caught in a system and sometimes that is amazing and sometimes that's really limiting. And I think I find it the most limiting because when I work with clients who have mobility issues and who have wrist sensitivities, I see so many trainers and I'm not going to name any of them, but they're like, do animal flow and your life will be better. And I'm like, no, like it doesn't work for everybody. Like stop marketing it as something for everybody because it's not. And that's why I gravitated a little bit more to GMB because, and they also, they keep updating their programs too. So like their latest update of Elements actually has way more modifications than they ever gave before. So now it's even more accessible than it used to be. But I think I, re- I respect coaches and trainers and creators of programs who are aware that, hey, this is like, this is a system and this is a program and it may work for some people and it may not work for others. Let me hear what's going on with the people that it's not working for. And let me change this in there or give options or like show that it's okay to start at certain points rather than forcing people to look like what's on the screen. And I don't see that as much with animal flow. I see that a lot more with GMB and like, I like to, play in-betweens and like do other things too. So I'm not, I'm, I'm trying not to be like sort of the dogmatic fitness person. Like that's what I really want to avoid if I can. Where does your energy practice come into all of this? My training right now is in what's called the lifeline technique which is developed by Dr. Darren Wiseman and, and like kind of ties in a lot of different modalities together. But essentially I kind of, as a practitioner, uh, I lead you through a process that actually you could do yourself, but it's actually kind of nice to have somebody guide you through it. But we kind of wander into what's going on in your subconscious programming and we begin to shift it through different techniques. I don't know how to explain it uh, fully without doing it, but we use like, Buckle yeah, up. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm not going to get too deep, but there's really, there's one cool thing that kind of ties this with movement to me, which is the muscle reflex testing, which is from applied kinesiology. So essentially, um, and if you've ever been to like a chiropractor who's trained in applied kinesiology, they use muscle reflex testing. So this is not just some like woo woo shit that I'm talking about. This is like this is applied science, which I would argue is connected to spiritual spirituality on a deep level, but essentially muscle reef, your body does not lie. It will tell you what is supportive of your system and what is destructive to your system. And so essentially you could do this with language because words are vibrations. So you could say the word like love, for example, and you could test the muscle and the, the muscle reflex test basically shows like what your muscles and your strength is in integrity when you're near something or in vibration with something that is 
supportive. So the word love would ring true. The muscle would be strong. If I press down on your arm, you wouldn't be, you would be able to resist my arm very well. Now, if I, if we start thinking thoughts about like fear or like guilt or like war or something, the body starts to react, right? So um, it can't resist the force of my hand as much. So um, the muscle becomes what we say weak. And hopefully this is translating okay. If you, if you don't understand something I'm saying, please let me extrapolate a little bit more. But so essentially we can take that concept of basically muscle staying strong or muscle staying weak in reaction to certain things or words or thoughts or beliefs. And we can really figure out what's going on in your subconscious mind and why that's dry, what, why certain things are driving the behavior that you're experiencing in your life. So the whole thing is not necessarily about like, cause I, I know like people say they're an energy healer and I don't really think you can heal energy. I think you could just like either reroute it, transform it, alchemize it, but it doesn't need to be healed. It just needs to be observed and maybe moved. So the whole process is kind of like bringing things that are subconsciously driving you to your conscious awareness. So then you can begin to make shifts. And a lot of times people, let's bring us back to movement and fitness. They think that certain aches and pains are due to perhaps mechanical issues. And that could be part of it. But sometimes it's not about that. Sometimes there's some deep, deep emotional wounds and processing and the body's doing its best to adapt to the stress, not realizing that it's safe in this moment. And so I want to sort of bring these two worlds together because I don't believe that everything could be solved with fitness and lifting weights and stretching more and doing all that stuff. Um, And I'm not here to say that like, also energy work will solve everything either. What I'm saying is that there's, there's levels to our beings that we have not learned how to access. And I think we're just starting to, we exist in multitudes and there's no way to get to it all, but that we could at least begin to explore it. And so exactly. It's, it's been a powerful tool in my life. Um, and I've seen yeah. it make big shifts for other people as well. I situations and stressful encounters that we have, like after the process, I've done it with some people, they've just like, wow, this is not as triggering as it used to be like an hour ago. And so the way I see life now, it's not necessarily like, oh, how can I make my life as safe and as peaceful as possible? It's like, no, how can I like set myself up so that when I'm in these situations that I'm in a place of agency that I can make choices in alignment with myself and like navigate this whatever's coming into my life as grounded as possible and I think that's what the lifeline technique does for me and has done for others that I've worked with so yeah how are you integrating writing fitness wellness, energy work, all of these things. What is, do you have any like daily habits or just things that make you feel good as a human in order to integrate all of these things that you love and care about? I think it's always hard to do all of those things. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, 
I feel like people look at my website or my Instagram or something. And I'm like, oh my God, she does so many things. And I'm like, it's, it's really, it's kind of seasons, I think. So things that I do or try to do daily is I try to meditate. So it's, it's usually like one of three things. I meditate. I either do a mini version of the lifeline technique or I write and I read. So I'll like do what I'm grateful for. I might do some chanting. Um, I'm healing stuff around my root chakra right now. So everything involving money, family and all that stuff. It's like chanting around that. For some reason in this carnation, I'm very like everything root, everything. <laughs> it's got to be got to be tended to, which is not such a bad thing. And I usually work out to some capacity or I move. Today was actually fun because uh, my wife and I went out. There's a park near us. We just went out and we shot some hoops. We're not very good. Doesn't matter. Um, but it just had me remembering like recess. And I'm like, oh, why don't we just like make recess a habit? Like, why don't we do that? Because it's fun. And I live in California, so the weather is nice. I'm like, why aren't we doing this often? Just doing stuff like that is what I easily make a habit of is movement. I feel like I'm not fully myself. I'm not incorporating some sort of movement. And writing when I feel called to at this point, I feel like I was doing a lot when I was a journalist and I just kind of got burnt out. And so it's kind of when I feel called to. I have been meditating recently over, for example, uh, I frequently get called sir in various establishments and was recently called sir twice and questioned about me entering the women's bathroom, which I always find so bizarre. That person was very embarrassed. I'm like, hmm. And I used to get really angry about it. And I'm just kind of curious about it because like, I'm not going to get into the weeds, but I, I, it, it was kind of revealing itself to me as something like, oh, I think I'm supposed to write about this because it hasn't showed up this much in a while. Yeah. I just, I just don't understand why it matters. I'm like what? I don't get it either. You have nothing else to worry about. I don't know. People just <laughs> not pre being present and just like uttering what they think they should say or whatever it's associated with like, okay, I'm being called sir. Does that mean I look like a man? What does it mean to be a man? What is womanhood? And then it gets all confused. Right. I'm like, wait a second. Existential yeah, I'm spiral. Like, yeah, yeah. It just like keeps going up and up. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, this is just a very strange thing. Um, Truly. So, yeah. Truly. Oh my goodness. I love it. I love recess. I'm going to start using mm -hmm. that. That's a win. That's a win. We and we don't need to lose that. We need that back. Truly, mm -hmm. truly. An actual last question. Mm -hmm. What is the worst and the best pieces of advice that you've gotten? Worst has been your emotions are fickle. Don't trust them. Yeah. I actually like religiously like listen to like an audio that would tell that to me. And I luckily didn't get too indoctrinated with that for too long because I, I'm stoic most day to day, but if you get me really upset about something, I'm usually not like, like fiery, angry. I'm crying. Like I will, I can't help it. So I'm someone 
We just can't help it. So that didn't last very long. And also, I am someone who realized through my energy work that emotions are our body's interpretation of energy moving. Like, I think it's impossible for us to see our emotions objectively, but if we could, like, just see the world and, like, with a different lens, with different eyes, we would see emotions as, like, these waves that are just kind of, like, moving around and just, like, there. It's just, like, energy. And then it gets put into our human body and then with our brains, we're like, ah, emotion! Freak it out! (laughs) I'm sad. What do I do? And it's like, the universe is like, it's just energy. What am I saying? Let it move. It's just a Let it just be. Like, you don't have to get so upset about it. Or you could be upset. There's more energy. Look at that. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's one of those things where if we were able to see it objectively, we'd just be like, oh, it's just part of our, just our system for some reason that has really valuable information. The best advice I've been given has been that every everything that's triggering to me or anything that's, if we're using another word, activating, is a portal. And this is something that I've learned from my mentor who, who taught me the lifeline technique is that when we change our perspective of everything like quote unquote negative in life, just like happening to us. And it's just like, and you know, there's space to like be a victim. I totally understand like that, that need to like feel that like life is just, you know, shit and like everything shitty is just happening. Like there's totally space for that. But if we're able to get to a place eventually of like, oh, there's something for me here. That is like the point where you take your power back and that, there's something for me to grow and learn from. And it might not even be about me in this lifetime or like it might, it might be about society. It might be about a generational pattern. It might be about a past life pattern, but there's something here that is being brought up to my attention for me to shift. And so I get to undo generational stuff at this point of consciousness, I get to undo societal shit at this point of consciousness. I get to undo and create something new. Exactly. Oh, my heart is so happy. Thank you so much for sharing all of this today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to Learning with Learner and hearing the wisdom, stories, and ideas that will have you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world. If you've enjoyed this, please remember to share, rate, and review. It means the world to me and the team putting it all together. If you're looking for more information, you can find me at lindsaylearner.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-E-R-N-E-R.com. Or if you've got any questions or curiosity about me, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at lindsaylearner. Thanks again for listening and have an awesome day.